Hey, I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. This time, let's find out what it's like being freelance for digital marketing consultant Paul Sutton. My whole business is built on my reputation. If my reputation goes down the pan, so does my business. That's the way I see it. I also run a conference once a year. The people the conference is for are people who, in theory at least, would employ me. I don't make a hell of a lot of money off it, but it's fantastic for reputation and and getting your name known, as long as you can produce a good quality product. I've got to come round now, having run this business for five years, to thinking, for me personally, not having a plan is almost as good as having a plan. Yeah, so there is Paul. I've got to stress that this episode was recorded way before the coronavirus outbreak kicked off. And so you will hear us chatting merrily about events uh, because Paul organises a conference at the time that would have been going ahead. Uh, Just to put it all in context, obviously, this will eventually disappear and these things will come back. And um, anyway, it's it's an interesting uh, chat nonetheless. So I hope you enjoy it. That's with Paul Sutton coming up in a moment. Uh, Don't forget, you can come join us, beingfreelance.com. Click through into the community and join freelancers from around the world. Sense of community has never been more important than it is right now, so it would be great to see you in there. And as you may have noticed at the beginning, there isn't a sponsor for the podcast at the moment, which, you know, is is fine. Like, I get it. It's basically hard talking to to any companies about parting with, with money at the moment, no matter how much they might want to support the, the self-employed communities. I'm on a list, but I'm not necessarily at the top of that list, and I get that. However, if you enjoy what I do with being freelance, if you enjoy these episodes, if you like the videos, the articles, the community, whatever, then you can support the podcast yourself. Go to beingfreelance.com slash coffee, and you can buy me virtual coffee and biscuits uh, to help basically with the uh, with the costs of putting this podcast together but I must stress as well times are weird times are tight and honestly if it's a stress for you to put that money in that direction then please don't I'm more than happy to do this seriously so honestly don't don't um, don't do it if you can't afford to right let's crack on shall we and chat to this week's guest like i said recorded way before this all kicked off and that is paul sutton who is a digital marketing consultant hey paul hello hello thanks for having me Thanks for doing it. So um, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Yeah, so I started off as a consultant about five years ago now. I'd been thinking of going that route for probably two or three years before that for various reasons. You know, it just it just occurred to me at the time that with what I do, which is digital marketing consultancy, there was an increasing demand for people with specialist knowledge around agencies and brands that I was working with. And it just it had just been on my mind, like I say, for two or three years literally, but never I never had the courage to take that that actual step and do it. Probably because I've got family. And um as as you yourself know, and as everyone else listening to this will know, it's a big step not to have that security of a a salary coming in. But Eventually, I just thought it's either now or never. You know, talk to my wife about it and what the implications might be. It so happened that I managed to get a a gig that was kind of regular, a monthly gig, sort of sorted, and that gave me the confidence just to take the step. And that really helped me in my first probably eighteen months because I always had that there just to cover things if I hadn't got any work. You know, so you had a regular client. Did you did you 
put anything else in place? Like, did you have any savings or? <laughs> Not to speak of, no. And I know that's terrible advice to give anyone because everyone says you should have, what, three or six months savings or whatever. I didn't really have much to speak of, but I did have this one regular client that I knew was going to be 18 months or so. Like I say, it was an ongoing thing, really. And well, this is one of the benefits of, of freelancing is that you know, I, I could earn from that one client effectively what I was earning from my salary job, or not far off it anyway. So I had the, a, a sense of security that even if I never got any other work, I, I'd just about be okay, you know? Yeah. And so how did you go about finding your other clients? Yeah, I mean, the first probably two years worth of client work that I ever did came off the back of my network, my social network, and what I'd been doing for the last 10 years, probably. Um, now, I'd been blogging for a close on five to 10 years, something like that, ahead of going freelance. I'd built up a very strong network on Twitter specifically, but through social media and, and LinkedIn and stuff. And I just knew quite a lot of people in the in the PR industry. And Obviously, when I went freelance, I made a bit of a noise about it and let people know. And it was just that. I, I don't think for the first two years I did any form of active marketing. It, it, it all just came to me, which is a pretty fortunate situation to be in. But you say that, but did you continue blogging as you had been? Yeah, yeah. I suppose, yes, you can consider that. So I was, I did continue blogging. Uh, I did keep my Twitter network going and my LinkedIn network. So I was doing all the same things that I had been for the previous five or 10 years, but I didn't add anything to that. You'd spent ages basically positioning yourself as an expert and getting your personality across. Yeah, yeah, effectively, because it, even in my jobs before that, which was within agencies, that was part of what I did. It was part of profile building. So I, I'd spent, like you say, five years building my profile with the industry, doing speaking gigs, you know, all sorts of stuff, contributing to other people's blogs and industry magazines and everything I could think of. When I did it, it I had no intention of, of setting up by myself or, or doing anything with that. It was just part of what I did. But obviously it paid massive dividends when I did decide to set up on myself. Mm. What did you find most challenging when you started out? To be honest, it's it's the thing that I still find the most challenging, which is the fact that you're only one person. And I, and by that, I don't mean necessarily in terms of the amount of paid work that I do, because I am generally quite careful to, to manage that. So I, I don't overload myself. But I mean, in terms of other things. So so yes, I, I have clients and, and I do paid work for that. But I also run a conference once a year. I have a podcast, which I do in sort of weekly. I run a Slack group for people. I've got all the social media stuff. And then you've got the business things like, you know, invoicing and all the rest of it. And I think the biggest challenge of being freelance is is balancing all that out and making time for everything. Because if I go through a particularly busy spell with work, for example, this happened sort of back end of last year, absolutely snowed under. And so the things that get dropped to things like the Slack group and, and I'm not on social media anymore and, and the podcast suffers. And, you know, it's that side of things. It's, it's getting that balance right, I think. Well, wow, there's a lot in there, though. <laughs> so, so you mentioned a podcast, a Slack group, a conference. Let's start with, well, which came first, actually? Let's start with whichever came first. Yeah, so I, I know this is quite unusual, but the, the conference came before the podcast. Most people I've spoken to 
sort of start a podcast and then a conference falls out the back of it. Um, I ran a conference first three years ago, which was all around bringing people I know, topic experts in for a day, lots of different topics, standard sort of conference, but in a, in a different sort of style. It was very discussion-based, to put it that way. And then I'd been had people saying to me, again, for like two years, you should start a podcast. And, and, you know, and I hadn't done it because I guess I didn't know what was involved. Before you start it, you, you're not really sure what equipment you need, how to edit things, you know, everything that goes into it. But yeah, so after after a, a while of being badgered, I just decided, okay, I want to learn this. So let's give that a try. And I started my podcast two years ago now. But yeah, it was after the conference gave me the uh, the confidence maybe to, to to do that. So what was the thinking behind the conference? Like who, who is the audience? Are they your potential clients or your peers? Uh, my potential clients, absolutely. I mean, it's partly peers, but it's mostly clients. As I said, I'm a digital marketing consultant and I work with different agencies, PR agencies, marketing agencies, and also direct to brands as well. So the people the conference is for are people who, in theory at least, would employ me. So you can view it in a way as part of a sort of a marketing tactic from me. I don't make a hell of a lot of money off it, but it's fantastic for what we've talked about, for reputation and and getting your name known, as long as you can produce a good quality product, which is the, the really important thing. There's too many conferences out there that are just substandard, and I wanted to do something a bit different that that would benefit me so how did you how did you find that like going into (laughs) so how how many have you done now i've done three now yeah okay so that first one yeah like in particular how how did that feel going into it like and how long did it take how big was it there's so many questions popping (laughs) into my head yeah um so it was four i limited the the number of attendees to, uh, I think it was it was either 50 or 60. I didn't want to produce something massive where everyone was in an auditorium, blankly staring at people on a stage for six hours. That just, you know, I hate those things. So I wanted to make something a lot more personal, uh, something where people can ask questions and get involved. So I limited it to sort of 50, 60 people. The amount of work that goes into it you would not believe actually and again being one person doing this so it's not just the logistical things like the venue and i don't know organizing lunch and ticketing and all that sort of stuff it's the amount of time you spend coming up with an agenda getting people involved in it who are going to you know speakers and and panelists and things getting presentations for them formatting the day there is so much goes into a conference you would not believe but out the back of it the feeling you get from having done it and having done it well is is immense it's it's incredible and to get the sort of feedback that I had after that first one and I've had since just makes you want to do it again. You might not want to do it again straight away, but you want to do it again. How long would you say it takes you? Like how much of a, <laughs> not a time suck, yeah. but a commitment is it? Do you know what? I have never sat down and worked out how much time goes into doing it. And I'm never going to because <laughs> if I then try and equate that to the amount of money I make off it, I would never do it again. <laughs> um, but I mean, I start planning for it three to four months out from the day itself. And then 
I don't know. It's it's ongoing from there, even to the point of marketing a conference is is quite hard work because it's not simply a case of I don't know shoving out an email to your email list and putting it on social a couple of times and and tickets go. That in itself, selling tickets is really nerve wracking. It's quite stressful because nowadays people don't buy things until you know three weeks before they're going to them, just in case something comes up. So it it does take an awful lot of time. But I you know I I, I I don't even give you a figure for how many hours goes into that thing. And so what happens, so cl- client work-wise, do you deliberately quieten things down when it is heading towards conference time? Um, do I? Not deliberately, no. Um, my, my conference is normally in May, so uh, and there are reasons for that because – in again, in my specific industry, there's there's a gap that sort of time of year. I think thinking about it over the last three years, I've done it. it it's always fitted in okay. I can't say I've ever turned a paid project down because of the conference. It would have to be something that was going to take a significant amount of my time in order for me to say I I can't do it. But again, going back to that whole balance thing. It's a time of year where I have to be very aware of what I've got on and when it needs doing, and and I have to plan very carefully around that. Okay, so off the back of the conference came the podcast. Yeah. What's the podcast called? So the podcast is called Digital Download. What's the, I guess, the the format of that? If people are going to tune in, what's that? A conversation between you and somebody in the industry? Yes, I mean, it's it's very similar to this. Um, I talk to people who are quite senior in in my industry and not just from the UK but from I mean I've interviewed people from America Australia you know all over the place basically and that that is a result incidentally of having that network that I've talked about the ability to tap into people who I may not know well but know a a little bit and and they're quite happy to come on and you know talk to me but the format is yeah it's interview based I, I talk to people once a week about some some major issue in the industry whether it's technology or i don't know mental health or data privacy or strategies there's all sorts of stuff we cover so other than that initial i don't know how the hell to do a podcast <laughs> yeah but how have you found doing a podcast i love it it's made I, I really love it um it's it's now you know we, we talked about marketing it's now my prime form of marketing i would say i really enjoy sitting down once a week once every couple of weeks and talking to someone for sort of half an hour about something that has been on my mind on 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 the mind of the industry and i don't know how you find it but i find it really helps me think about stuff in more detail the 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 whole process of producing a podcast again it can be quite intensive in time wise if you're not careful you can spend a lot of time doing it but uh, you know the the benefits of doing it for me are, are huge and then you have the slack group yeah so again, the same audience, potential clients. Yes, absolutely. So that that runs across the conference, the podcast, the Slack group. Everything is is sort of there for a reason. And the Slack group, which again is called Digital Download, it's all branded the same, is there for to take those sort of conversations that I have on a one person level in the podcast out into a a, a sort of a, a group format, if you like. So within that, I mean, I, I try and post every day as much as I can with with the latest news that I'm seeing around the industry, uh, things that people might want to know about, case studies. I don't know, whatever I see that I think I might be interested with the intention of 
just keeping people informed and allowing them to have discussions around that stuff. Do any of your clients, as in new clients, mm. mention any of this stuff? Yeah, they yeah, they do. Approach you? Absolutely. I can say with certainty that the, the conference has led to consultancy work because I've been approached afterwards by someone who's you know come along, and that's happened more than once. The podcast itself, again, putting a monetary value against the business I've got as a result of the podcast is difficult, but it would be in the tens of thousands of pounds of business that I've had as a result of podcasting consistency for the last two years. When it comes to the podcast, yeah, you, I mean, you said it's weekly. Yeah, how are you fitting everything in? I mean, you touched on the fact that actually, if it comes to it, you will, you know, some things get dropped. Yeah, but but how do you manage your time? I guess it's just been fairly disciplined. I mean, of those things that we've talked about, the Slack group doesn't take long in any given day. I spend maybe half an hour a day every single day when I get to my desk just reading up on the latest industry news anyway. That's part of what I I need to do to do my job. So therefore, it doesn't take me that long then to put the most valuable stuff that I read into that Slack group and to, for example, post some stuff to, to social media. That doesn't take too long. The conference itself is an intense sort of two or three months. And like I said, I have to be very very planned during that time. The podcast is the one that interferes the most, if that's the right word to use, because it is regular. Um, And the way I've taken to doing it, or although I'm now thinking of changing this, is that I've done a season of sort of 10 or 11 episodes, and I'll record the interviews in a batch. You know, I might have, say I've got a quiet week, I'll try and record as many interviews as I can in that week, which therefore gives me a bit of breathing space to be able to edit and get a, a... an episode out sort of once a week over the next three months. So I try and work intelligently around it. It's not always easy. And I do sometimes run into problems where, you know, I've got, I don't know, let's say I I haven't got any, I've run out of interviews and I'm supposed to have a podcast out next week. And now that leaves me having to record and edit and get that out in a week when I've got client work to do. So it's not always easy, but I just try and be a bit planned with it. You mentioned that the end of last year. Yeah. You had a lot going on. Yeah. Do you ever feel like all of the plates are spinning <laughs> spinning out of control? Yes. Uh, well, yes, at the end of last year, particularly. Like I said, I've been, I've been a consultant for five years now, and I've never got to the stage I did at the end of last year, which it started probably back maybe August, September time. I started getting busy, and I took on a couple of, of big projects. And... I suppose over the course of the next sort of two to three months, in combination with some personal stuff as well, we had a a family member died, which was is obviously very stressful in itself. And trying to deal with that and look after the family and my wife and do all of this work at the same time just got too much. And um, I mean, I, I suffer from depression. I've never hidden that fact. And I just went through a, a stage of burnout. So sort of October, November last year was was really tough and I started to get sort of physical and emotional and symptoms of burnout which is not nice by any stretch of the imagination. How did you deal with that? It was difficult at the time I mean as I said I've suffered from depression for well diagnosed for sort of 15 years it's a long time so I, I know when to spot how I'm getting into that sort of frame of mind um 
in this case, I could feel it happening. I knew it was happening. I had no choice but to carry on and do the projects that I was working on. But because of the time of year, I then said, okay, well, I am going to take a complete break or as much of a break as I can in December. So I set myself a deadline. I didn't take on any new work as of, I don't know when it was, October, November. And I just said to people, look, I I can't do it this side of Christmas. If you still want some help, you know, in the new year, then absolutely let's talk. But I didn't take on a new work. And yeah, I just took the best part of three to four weeks off over Christmas. Didn't even look at anything work, you know, not, not just clients, but podcasts, Slack group, social media, just didn't look at any of it. And that was so, so valuable. It really did. It, it came, you know, I came back in the new year then feeling refreshed and able to to get back into things again. I'm so glad it worked. Yeah. Do you then also sit there and think, how can I avoid that happening again? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I don't want to be getting into that state again. I just don't. I, I think one of the contributing factors, I think there were there were several, but one of them was the fact that I hadn't had a proper holiday for 18 months. So, you know, I'd had days off and stuff, as you do when you're a freelancer. You can take a day off whenever you like, really. But I hadn't had like a two-week holiday for 18 months. And what that kind of taught me was how important it is to get a proper break and just get away from everything. Because, you know, even even within a week of just in December of just dropping everything and spending time with the kids and doing whatever... I started to feel better. So I, I just think it's a really valuable lesson. It, 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 sometimes as a freelancer, you do get busy and things do go ups and downs, but building in time to have a proper break is is so important. It really is. Mm. How about the, the way you work? Like, Are you work from home or do you often go into people's workplaces? No, I'm, I'm someone who likes to work from home. I sit at my dining room table, which is where I've taken to work because I've got a nice view out the window. You know, my wife will be around sometimes. It, the only time it's difficult is sort of 3.30 onwards when the kids come home. But it's just something I prefer doing is being at home by myself. I get far more done. How old are your kids? They are 10, 7 and 6. <laughs> yeah. Crikey. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so what happens when it comes to half three? Do, do you just Is that the end of your workday then or do you just hide in the loft? <laughs> <laughs> it depends what I've got on, actually. Um, I know people work better at different times of day. I'm someone who works better in the morning. So I will sit down and start working sort of half eight as soon as the kids have gone off to school. And I tend to have done everything that I need to do for that day by the time they come home. So if they are being a bit noisy or whatever, then I don't find it too stressful. If it does, if I am really busy and need the extra time, then yes, I go upstairs and, and work in our, our little spare room. But for me, that's that works best for me, you know. So you obviously had a lot of experience in what you were doing. Did, had you picked up from being, you know, in agency life, the other side of it, of actually running a business? Um, I have actually run a business before. Um, going back about 12 or 13 years now, I ran an e-commerce company <laughs> selling, of all things, luxury pet goods, um, <laughs> which is a bit bizarre because I had no background in the pet industry or anything, but it was something my, my, my wife was very interested in. And, you know, we researched it and wrote a business plan and everything. And anyway, set up this e-commerce company. And I ran that for three years. The unfortunate thing was 
we launched it the year before the credit crunch hit. <laughs> so of all the the bad timing, that was that was just about it. So we kept that running for three years, but it was just not making the sort of money that you know we wanted or needed. So I ended up going back into agency life. But I mean, I learned a lot from doing that. I would, although you can look back and go, well, maybe I shouldn't have done it. I learned so much from running that business that I use now. What did you take away from it? Other than maybe a stockpile of velvet collars? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I guess I took away a sense of everything will be all right, which I know that sounds a bit odd, but it's a case of things happen, right? You can do your best but things external to you will happen whether it is a massive global recession or whether it's i don't know a, a client not paying you all time or it could be anything but shit happens basically and you know in any of those cases things will be okay it was it was a tough time for us when we had to close that down and i went back to you know working in an agency because it felt it felt like we failed And that's not an easy thing to get over necessarily. But having been through that, you you learn a lot just from that itself, I think. Mm. So there's obviously an entrepreneurial thing inside you, right? I guess so. I mean, it's funny. I've never thought of myself as an entrepreneur, but I guess I'm now on my second business. So maybe, yeah. But not just your second business, but also, you know, for example, the not just the work, but the risk that could f- be involved in putting on a conference. That's not just the norm <laughs> of selling your <laughs> consultancy. Um, that That's somebody who is relishing a challenge and, I don't know, is seeing something in a different way, I think. Maybe. Maybe you're right. I don't know. I, like I said, I've never really thought of it like that. But you're right when it comes to a conference. There is a lot of risk involved in it. And it's it's... It's not just a financial thing either in terms of, okay, well, I've got to shell out however much to put this thing on. And if I don't sell enough tickets, I'm going to lose money. It's not even just that. It's for me that the risk in that is doing something that is not up to par or that people don't like. And I guess for me and my business, my my whole business is built on my reputation. If my reputation goes down the pan, so does my business. That's the way I see it. So yeah, there there is there is a risky element to that. You're right. Are you someone who sort of looks long term and has goals ahead of you, or do you just see what comes your way? I have tried looking long term, but in fact, even even about maybe two years ago, I set out a plan at the start of the year, which was based upon the fact that in the previous year I'd run this conference and I'd run a lot of sort of mini conference workshops off the back of it because I was getting approached saying, could you do a specific day on this topic and that topic? And so I did a lot of that stuff. And I love doing conferences and workshops and speaking to people. It's just something that really gives me a buzz. And so I set out this plan to, this would have been 2018, to do a whole load more of this stuff. I was going to do sort of two or three uh, day-long workshops every single month, all year round, um, sort of building on this conference theme. And I planned this all out, and it just didn't work. Um, for whatever reason, 
just I think it's partly that thing of trying to sell tickets is is just a constant stress. And 2018 was a bad year for my business because I'd kind of got sidetracked into this thing that I thought was going to be great, but didn't work. And because of that, the consultancy side of things had fallen by the wayside. So when it came to 2019, I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to go with whatever comes and take it easy and, and go with the flow. And last year was my best business year by a very, very long margin. And that's despite what's happening in the economy and stuff. So I've kind of come round now, having run this business for five years, to thinking for me personally, and I know it's not for everyone, but for me personally, not having a plan is almost as good as having a plan, if that makes sense. <laughs> now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me, Paul? Right. I have got three facts for you based upon work I have done in the past. So the first one. I once worked on a project with Pele, and it was a pouring down rainy day on an airfield in Warwickshire. Okay. The second one. I once worked on a project with Jodie Marsh, with her wearing nothing but a bra and a G-string in the middle of a shopping centre. The third one. I once worked on a project with Liam Gallagher, where he stormed off halfway through the thing we were doing, and never came back again. (laughs) I don't want to cast aspersions, but both of the last two sound like they're true, don't they? Um, uh, I I mean, for listeners around the world, you've probably heard of Pele and Liam Gallagher from Oasis, but Jodie Marsh was like quite a a low-grade celebrity (laughs) glamour model type. But for a while, she was a big name. She was. She was huge at this time. Yeah. All right. So, jo- I mean, I can, uh, I can imagine you. <laughs> I don't want to say that you hang out with people in g strings in shopping centres, but I can imagine that. What, what was there a product that she was flogging? Yeah, it was a charity campaign. Actually, um, it was for breast cancer care, and they do this thing once a year called Wear It Pink, and it was in your part of the world. It was in uh, Braintree, in the the shopping centre in Braintree. The, the outlet center and so i was working with a pr firm at the time and came up with this idea to get a model um just wearing this this special underwear that they were selling to raise money for for breast cancer care and she was the one i got hold of i came up with this idea to get a model wearing nothing in a- <laughs> I, mean, I know brilliant i don't want to but really that smacks of your wife walking in on you and you go no i'm doing research i've got this idea <laughs> <laughs> okay you're right that is my neck of the woods and that shopping center is all outside it's not really a, it's not like a shopping mall no it no it's it's an outlet center so, so it is all outside so she would have been standing outside in the cold. Outside in- a shop, yeah. yes. Okay, it sounds plausible. Pele <laughs> on an air... What was Pele? So presumably he was flogging something too. He's on an airfield. By this point, he's probably quite an old man. <laughs> yeah, it was about... I don't remember the exact date. It would have been somewhere around about 2007, 2008, sometime around then. And funny enough, all, all three of these are charity campaigns. Um, now, Pele... This is a long story, but let's keep this short. So this was for uh, the air ambulance, the Warwickshire uh, and Northamptonshire air ambulance. Pele happened to be coming over to the UK at the time to uh, do a book signing, as you do. 
they they helicoptered into the, him into this. Just, it was pouring, <laughs> chucking it down this this uh, airfield where the air ambulance is in Warwickshire, and uh, yeah, he was in the hangar for maybe an hour with with media there talking to him about his career and and why he was supporting the air ambulance, which, I mean, he, to be honest, he had no clue about that side of things. Yeah, it was, it was quite random. But, um, yeah, it, I mean, you know, if you get to meet Pele, you're not going to knock it, are you? A nice thing for him to do. He always seems like a nice person. That seems feasible. Okay, Liam Gallagher. Yeah. So what was the charity he was doing? Now, this was, um, this was a, cl- well, it was a clothing brand. He was promoting, but in conjunction with a charity campaign, we'd organised this uh, sort of a photo shoot, um, and he was one of two or three celebrities. He was the biggest of the celebrities, but getting involved in this photo shoot to wear this this clothing from this brand in, uh, to, to help raise money for this charity. And he was getting, he was fine to start with, but he, then he just started getting a bit fed up with the photographer, sort of keep telling him to you know, pose like this, can we do that, can we do that? And he just got a bit sick of it uh, and started getting a bit moody. Um, and then he just kind of started mucking around and, and just wouldn't do what he was asked. And basically, <laughs> he got up, went out of the, the, the studio, and we were kind of looking at each other, thinking, has he gone out for a fag or something? And he just didn't come back. I To this day, I have no idea where he went, but he just didn't come back. Okay. I mean, like I say, the last... <sighs> Pele sounds the most unlikely. We can both we can all imagine Jody and Liam doing these things. And yet with the story to do with Liam, you kept laughing. Is that because you're laughing at your own lie? Um, <laughs> or laughing at the ridiculous memory of it? The Jody Marsh one. I mean, that that, that, that just I, I the weird thing about that is I can't. Like I'd forgotten Jodie Marsh existed. Like, why would you pick? That feels like it has to be true. No offense, Jodie, but unless, of course, you're just going. Okay, who would it have been ten years ago? All right, Pe- but Pele for a helicopter. Pele for a helicopter is so ridiculous that that feels it like it has to be true. So I'm saying Liam Gallagher is the lie. You're right. Yes. <laughs> Well done. I'm quite impressed you got that. I was sure you would go with Pele. <laughs> Liam Gallagher sounded so true that it was a lie and he did keep laughing. <laughs> you need to work on that in case you ever get arrested. Oh, yeah. All right, you Obviously go. a very bad liar. <laughs> now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Do you know what? I, I would tell myself just to trust your instincts and... So not to pay too much attention to what other people do and the way they do things and go with what feels right. Trust your gut. And I apply that even to myself in the last, I suppose, year. You know, I said in 2018 on a bad year, I was looking around at other people, other consultants, and thinking, well, what are they doing? What, you know, uh, there at the time there was this thing about everyone had to be on Instagram and that's how you sold business. And I know people who, who would say they did, but I tried it. It didn't work for me. And I just think that was going against my instinct, which said this isn't going to work. So if I was to tell myself one thing, it would just be to go with your gut. Trust yourself. Paul, thank you so much. If you want to find out more about Paul, of course you do. 
Go to the website, beingfreelance.com. There's links through as there are for all of our guests so you can see what he is up to. Uh, check out his podcast as well. Uh, while you're there, also check out the blog. Loads of great articles on there. We've got the vlog, the videos, and, of course, Click Community. You can come and join us, freelancers from around the world, in the Being Freelance community. Don't forget, I also do the podcast for freelance parents, uh, much like Paul himself. Uh, go to doingitforthekids.net or search for doing it for the kids and you'll find that but for now paul thank you so much and all the best being freelance thank you thanks so much for having me